Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Well, thank you for coming to the seminar today. We're going to talk about elk calling. Um, since we got a nice smaller crowd today, too, if you guys have any questions during this, feel free to raise your hands, interrupt, barge in. Um, I just want to be able to give you the most information that's valuable to you guys. So um, today we're just going to kind of run through how we elk hunt, how we call, what, what our thoughts are behind, what are some of the sounds that we use. So um, we'll get jumping in here. The big thing is we, the tools of the trade, right? Um, if you guys watch our content, watch our videos at all, we don't leave the truck without a call in our mouth, without a bugle tube attached to our pack. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to kill elk and there's uh, a lot of different approaches. Our approach is try and call them in. It's the funnest thing. It's like for me, if I can hunt anything that I can call in and trick, that's what I enjoy doing. That's why I love turkey hunting. It's like I love waterfowl hunting. I liked interacting and, and playing that role of thinking that I'm real. So uh, the biggest thing, honestly, for us, um, that I, I would suggest, I think the number one tool is learning how to blow a diaphragm call. A diaphragm call is going to be your most versatile call. You can cow call with it. You can bugle. You can stop a bull when you're a full draw coming through your shooting lane. Um, get a call. Figure it out. There's a lot of good calls on the market there. Uh, we manufacture our own just because we wanted something that is exactly kind of what we're looking for. Um, and there's the biggest thing with call selection is going to be the latex thickness and stretch of it. And that's going to kind of the ability to blow them uh, a soft latex and a lighter latex soft stretch. It's going to be the easiest to blow. It's also going to be the quietest call. You aren't going to get, be able to get the volume out of it. And as you increase stretch and thickness, that's when you can get that loud, loud sound out of it. But it's a little bit harder to blow. So um, there's, like I said, there's a ton on the market. Um, like our OTC here, I'll blow a little bit. It's going to be a real soft cow call. You can still bugle with the thing, um, but it's, it's uh, really easy to operate. So this is our OTC. Um, I really like this call and like kind of that finesse side of life. Um, you, you sound really realistic. The other one that I actually ended up running most of the season this year, and this you guys can't see really that close, but I ran this call all season long, same diaphragm. Um, still held it stretch. Um, and this one's kind of that mid-range. It's not going to be as high-pitched as uh, some of the lighter calls, but you can still get a big variety of sounds out of it. Still, you don't quite get the volume out of something like this. It's kind of the middle of the road. Um, you jump up to like our heaviest latex. This is our LOF reed. Um, and this is a tighter stretch. This one takes a little bit longer to break in. Um, but it is going to be our loudest call. And that's where I use a lot of times 
for locate bugle, and we'll kind of talk through that, our two-tone. We used to really um, go about it with hit the high note on a, on a location bugle. And if you guys ever heard a train horn, right, that low, that sound carries a long ways, we really kind of keyed in on that with our location bugle. Instead of just hitting that high note, it was to hold a low note a long time and then increase the octave out of it. And it seemed like we got some more responses with that. So I'll blow it, the two-tone with the LOF read. You can see that note. In here it doesn't carry as well, but out in the woods, that's where it really makes a difference. Um, but like I said, get a bunch of different reeds, try them all, different manufacturers, find one that fits your mouth. Um, if you have problem, if you have a narrow palate, don't be afraid to trim the tape on them. A lot of times if, you, if you're getting air blow by, that you're getting, and what you can see is when you put that mouth call in your mouth, you'll get warp on the tape. If you've got a narrow palate, that's kind of one of those keys. You might just take a pair of scissors and uh, trim up that tape a little bit, and that'll help that seal. Um, the next one here, bugle tube, tools of the trade. You can bugle with a mouth read without a tube, but you don't get the volume out of it. You don't get the back pressure out of it. It doesn't allow you to get a good realistic chuckle. By introducing a tube, all of a sudden things change quite a bit. Just with that tube introduction, you're going to broadcast that sound and things will uh, answer you there with the tube. Um, and for us, a bugle tube in September is kind of our binoculars. We're going to use that sound with a bugle tube to, to cast the sound as far as we can to get a bull located. Um, I talked about the locate bugle. We use that two-tone, that low, low tone seems to really carry. The, the next sound that I'm going to introduce is going to be the lip ball. And uh, lip ball, you can have it at the start of the bugle, also at the end of the bugle, kind of adds that rasp, the realism. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to sound like a big bull. For me, I want to sound as realistic as possible. Um, so a big bull, um, you, you can also do a rag bugle or something like that, but I want to sound like a dominant bull. I've got the cows a lot of times. Uh, when you call an elk in, they come in for two reasons. They're there to fight you or they're there to breed you. That's the only two reasons that elk's, elk's really coming in and out of there. And they are herd animals. You get some out of curiosity in early season, like a, a blind called calling setup. But when you're bugling a bull, that's the two reasons there that they do it. But here's a lip ball. Well, I'll do this without the, the read in it first. And what you're going to do is kind of purse your lips together. It's a pretty simple concept. It just kind of takes a little bit. As you purse your lips together, that buzz of that, when you introduce a latex behind or mouth read, this is what that sounds like. Who here has used a lip ball before? You guys, it, it, like I said, it just takes a little bit of practice, but it adds a lot of realism to a bugle. It kind of separates the, the, if you hear a Doug Flutie in the woods, you know, they, they don't have that lip ball, they don't have that realism. 
And the next one that I think really separates where you're like, that's a hunter for sure, is a chuckle. The chuckle is one of the harder ones to master. Um, and, and the big thing is, is you're using air from your diaphragm. Um, when you hear a hunter, Doug Flutie in there, a lot of times what he's doing, he's just exhaling the sound. So it's, he doesn't have that air coming in and out. When, you, when you're doing the lip ball right, you're bringing that air from your diaphragm up and down, up and down. Similar, if you ever see a video of a bull and he's bugling, you're seeing his belly bounce, belly bounce. He's doing that exact thing. So um, what you want to do is you're actually exhaling, inhaling, exhaling, inhaling, exhaling, inhaling. So a chuckle, if you got it going right, you can actually do that for a long duration of time. So a good chuckle. You're going to add a little voice to it as well, but here's a chuckle. You can continue that thing out. And then you can have a long drawn out. A lot of times on a bugle, I'll run that first chuckle, almost a secondary bugle into it, kind of a scream, and then add that chuckle. So you can kind of vary that. Um, and there's, you know, the telltale of a nice five point typically is that super fast chuckle. <laughs> You get a, that mature bull, a lot of times that's when they're going to get that long drawn out chuckle. So long drawn out chuckle be more like this. That fast chuckle. So like I said, you're just adding that little guttural sound, a little bit of voice in there and getting that air exchange in and out. Um, challenge bugles when you kind of put this all together. That's, that's uh, I'm mad, let's fight. Um, you're announcing your dominance in that situation. So you're going to kind of string all these sounds together. You're going to have that scream, lip ball, that dominant chuckle into it. So this is a challenge bugle. My Britney Spears headset's falling off here. Um, the other sound I want to introduce and talk about, and we haven't used this in the field too much, and it's kind of that last straw. It's going to be the, the bark scream. Bark scream, bark chuckle. That's when a bull comes in and he hangs up and he barks at you. He's communicating to you. He wants to see you. He wants confirmation of where that sound came from. So he's going to stand up there. And it's not so much the gigs up and alarm bark, but it's, I've come as far as I'm going to come. I want to see you. And um, case in point, in 2020, New Mexico, I had a bull come in, came to full draw, drew too early, bull stopped behind some oak brush. And for two minutes, he was at 25 yards. And I'm, I ended up putting my bow down as low as I could just to, instead of holding this up with a weight, and the bull stepped out, I was literally shaking all over the place and I collapsed. I couldn't hold my bow back anymore. Bull took off, and I was just deflated. I thought gig was up. The bull went up there and barked. He didn't know what he saw. He just saw something that was like, that's not right. And so he barked. I barked, screamed at him, and it's like, oh, that is a bull. Okay. I'm, next thing you know, that bull turned, came right back into the same spot and got him killed. So um, it's one of those kind of that rescue sound. And what you're going to do is it's basically an exaggerated chuckle. You're going to sharp tone on it. Yo! And a lot of times what you'll add to that is that scream or that chuckle. So here's a bark scream. Bark chuckle. 
A lot of times that's when you get that ex excited chuckle behind it. So that's the bark screen. That's kind of the tools of the trade of what we use. We also use our estrus call. Um, we've got the sound boat two-tone, um, and that's, that's calling a bull in on the emotion of coming to breed. And uh, we'll use that a lot. And, and the big thing of these, when you're, when you're out calling, there's no magic recipe per bull of here's what I'm going to do from A to Z to get that bull called in. Every calling, every different scenario kind of plays out differently. So you have to play on those emotions, understand when you get a response off a cow call, now all of a sudden you don't want to necessarily bring in a challenge bugle to call that bull in. If he's responding to the cow call, you go with the sound that got you there. If he's reacting well to it and coming, don't introduce something until you have to. So we kind of, you get these tools of the tricks. And uh, like I said, as, as time goes on, you learn from your mistakes um, and, and kind of use these tools as they come along. So The cat road shuffle is notorious on our videos. We talk about a lot. During September, we use the bugle as much as we can, uh, or, or calling in general, to cover the ground that's in front of us. Um, we'll use mountain bikes. If we have to, we'll use trucks. Whatever it is can be the most effective way of dissecting the terrain there and figuring out where those elk are at. Um, so for us, uh, like I said, volume is key. When I'm locate calling or, or what I would generally doing if we're, if we're in an area, I'm going to start soft. I'm going to start with a soft few cow calls. You never know if that bull's bedded 200 yards away. Um, you, you know, so you don't want to come in there and just scream as loud as you can and then move on to the next. We're going to kind of go through a little sequence, um, start it out soft, get a little bit louder, introduce the bugle, add the bugle with a chuckle. Um, if that doesn't work, go down the road another 50 yards, introduce another bugle. You're trying to sound as real as possible, mimicking a herd coming through that area. Um, and the big thing, too, is people all ask, like, how often are you calling? It's all dictated by the terrain. If you guys are in the coast range, um, it's thick country. There's a lunch, bunch of micro topography in it. We're calling a lot more than if we're hunting Rockies or an open train on a big ridge. Um, if, if I feel like I can cover that country and call into it and cross that off the map, it might be five, 600 yards before I call again. Um, there's times like we're hunting Roosevelt's that we'll call 75 yards or 100 yards. And uh, a lot of cases we're using these old cat roads where they used to catalog on them. Uh, I'm going to call in the draw. I'm going to go another 100 yards, call again on the point of that, uh, before the point of the finger ridge, get to the finger ridge. I'm going to call off both sides. I'll call off the right side, call off the left side. And all of a sudden you might call off the left side and that sound bounces off another finger ridge and that bull responds back down here to your right. So, um, and the other thing too, when you're call, locate calling and you got multiple people, don't all just stand side by side. Spread out 15, 20 yards. Um, it's crazy, I mean, and then also be silent. Don't be, don't be that guy with the wrapper, don't be shuffling your feet on the ground, stepping on it. If someone calls, stop, listen. And the, and the key you're trying to find is where that bugle came from. Pay attention to that. Don't, you know, so the second you, and you'll see us a lot of times, is like we point bugles right there. We get a lot of this as well, but, um, you know, you try to pinpoint that. Um, the big thing is dissecting terrain. Like before the day starts, I'm on Onyx. I'm kind of got a game plan. Here's what we want to do. I'm going to try to find the most efficient and effective way 
that we're going to burn the last, least amount of calories to cover that country that we're going to hunt that day. So whether it's on bike, whether it's on truck, whether it's on boots, um, you also, we try to stay out of the bottoms when we're trying to locate the, the bottoms that sound doesn't carry. Um, you're, you're kind of s- stuck down in there if anything. Um, and a lot of times too, if we're hunting a ridge, we're going to slide off one side and bounce back and forth between the ridge. We're not going to just stay on the ridge top. So we're going to cover off one side, drop back over. Um, and, and the other side of it too, right, is like there's a lot of hunting pressure out there. Think outside the box and how you approach things. Um, you know, I don't know how many times I've been glass in a clear cut from across the canyon. And I've seen two or three trucks pull up to the same landing. Guy walks up to the same stump, stands up there, bugles one time, nothing's here, gets in his truck, takes off. Like put some time and effort in there, even though that they're, we, we've had the case where you call off that nothing, drop 200 yards down over the side, and you're, all of a sudden that sound comes from a different approach, and the guy, that bull might respond. So kind of think outside the box of how you do it. And the biggest thing we're looking for weather is calm and consistent. I, I would rather hunt bow season 80 degrees and have no wind. You know where those elk are going to be in the afternoons. They're going to be in the north slopes. They're going to be on those benches. Um, when you rain, snow, anything like that, if you think about those elk from June to September, it's been nice all season long. That first rainstorm, it's like, wait a second, what's going on? Things kind of slow down. Um, and it usually will take a day or two of, of a weather change for them to fire back up. A lot of times they'll shut down on those, those rainy days. So that's kind of what we're looking for is, uh, nice, sunny, hot days, honestly. So you get a response. What's your first thing you do? Celebrate, right? It's like, that's what you're out there doing. You're you're like, be excited. You guys worked your tail off. The hardest thing about elk hunting is finding them. Like calling elk in is is honestly, I feel like the easy part. We spend 90% of the time just trying to figure out where those buggers are hiding. So celebrate. The next thing you do, pull out Onyx and mark a waypoint. Where, Where is that elk at? You got to figure out exactly, look at the terrain features, figure out where that sound came from and kind of dial in. And it's crazy. Like you can get pretty dang precise from a long ways away thinking, okay, well, he's on that little, that little flat part of that ridge. He's on that knob. He's on that bench, um, pinpoint where it is. And then the biggest thing is like time of day. What's going on? Is it, are those elk up feeding? Are they on the move? Or is he bedded? Um, a lot of times early morning, we're going to listen for that bull. He's responding. We may not move to set in on him, set up on him because they're on their feet. It's going to be the, they're the most defensive point. And that's where, you know, here a lot of times like, yeah, the bull bugled every single time, but he just kept pushing his cows away. Not necessarily the case. He's not pushing his cows away. They're just going to bed, stay in earshot of them, follow them to bed. And that, you know, our most effective times generally is from 11 a.m. to 2, 3 p.m. to call those bulls in. Um, so pay attention to that. Um, take the, take the temperature, right? Is he bugling on his own a bunch? Is there a hot cow? Do you hear cows? Is he with a herd? Is he raking? You know, all these things kind of play into the factor of how you're going to approach that, that situation. But number one is wind. What time of day, what is the wind doing? If it's nine o'clock, chances are like we were, we will hold our position. We're not going to go make a move on that bull until we get the wind change. It's going to be teetering back and forth. Um, and really 
the wind is everything. That that's what's going to unfold the situation to call in a bowl in. So, you got to plan. You got to make a decision. I think the and uh, this is the last point of this slide. But the number one is fear of failure. Guys are like, man, it's been a week. I haven't heard a bugle. I don't want to screw this thing up. So they freeze. They don't want to make a decision. Trust your gut. Figure out a plan and go with it. If it unfolds, like, okay, what did I do wrong? Use it as a learning lesson. But nine times out of ten, if you freeze, that's you know that bull may be coming in. You're caught in the open and the gig is up. So kind of make a game plan, make that decision, trust, trust your gut. Um, the big thing with thermals and terrain, right? If it's an open hillside or the sun's on that hillside, it's still early. Those thermals are going to be already going up even at eight 9 o'clock. A lot of times, um, if it's on the shaded side, north side, and it's three o'clock in the afternoon, chances are that those thermals are still pulling that wind down. If you got, especially if you got a live creek that's running, you know, cold water in that draw, it's going to suck that wind down. So kind of pay attention, use your woodsmanship too. Like as you're hiking along, you're always kind of gathering data, right? It's like, pay attention to what the wind's doing when you're on that hillside, even if you're not an elk. Okay. Two o'clock in the afternoon and the wind was blowing right up. Um, you know, that sun was on it, like pay attention to those things. So it can kind of help calibrate you into when it's game time you have that information known in your head to use to make those decisions um big thing is is the distance from the elk and what is the wind doing at that elk's location versus what you're doing now a lot of times i've seen guys lock up freeze they're 500 yards from the elk the wind's at their back and they're just like oh we can't get any closer i i honestly in most country like i'm not too worried about the wind until we're a couple hundred yards from those elk they, uh, especially in thick terrain, um, you know, and, and it's, if the wind's shifty, like you have to predict what the wind's doing at that elk's location or where you're going to set up. And that's kind of the critical point. So there's a lot of times we've been winded or back five, 600 yards and we go right at that elk and then make the adjustment once we get down there. Cause it's the fastest, easiest way. So don't, don't freeze up at five, 600 yards worried about what the wind's doing at your location. You got to think about what it's doing at the elk's location. Um, you know, you see our videos. A lot of times we're hunting with three, four guys. Um, we also literally myself and a camera guy. So I'm solo calling. The biggest difference there in setup is you with solo hunting those, that terrain, you have to use that terrain to your advantage. Uh, you have some advantage with the caller where they can be back. You have to use the terrain to put that barrier where those elk are going to hang up to wherever they heard that last sound. So if they can see where that sound is and it's 200 yards, chances are that bull's going to stop there. He might bugle a bunch and then bark at you saying, show yourself. I can see where that sound came from and I don't see an elk. This isn't right. Um, if you're in thick terrain, um, a lot of times you can get away. They're going to come to 20 yards from that sound because they can't see that. So um, a, a, a lot of times I'm looking for finger ridges. How can I call this bull up the finger ridge? He's got to come up over that side to look down on me or, or you know, look up at me. Ideally, um, we talk about trying to call a bull, old son, come up. It's easier to kill a bull calling him up the hill. If they're uphill from you and downhill, you're in that weaker position. They can stand up there and they can see a lot better. So most likely if you're trying to call a bull downhill, that's what you get them to hang up. So um, communication is key for us. A lot of times if you, if you are hunting in multiple people, we use three cow calls. If, I, if I'm the shooter 
I'm going to give three cow calls if I'm moving up. I'm communicating to the caller. If he can't see me, I'm on the move. It's his job. And the, and the big thing, too, on, on a caller position, you can be mobile. You're, you're the one dictating the direction of how that elk's approaching. Don't just be like, I'm calling right here. I'm staying right by this tree the entire time. You're emulating a herd. You're emulating a bull chasing cows, whatever it is. Sound as real as possible. Make, make movements like that. Um, solo hunting, what you have to uh, be able to do is raise that curiosity enough that he's coming in to fight or breed you, and then you got to shut up because you don't want that location. Uh, I, if I can, I won't call for my last position when I'm solo hunting. I'll let that, that bull come in. So, uh, The setup. This is the make or break of things, right? You've done all this work. You've e-scouted. You've put in the miles. You've bugled your butt off and the setup is where things can fail the fastest um it's those critical decisions in the moment um so the the thing we talk about is the arc method right generally speaking a bull's not going to circle unless things aren't real to him a lot of times he's he's coming on a straight line and then it's like if, if he's worried about what's going on, that's when he's going to start circling for the downwind side. He thinks you're an elk, right? So you, gotta, you have to have that approach. When I come in and set up, okay, he's coming on a straight line here, but if he starts to circle, where is he going to go? So have multiple shooting lanes. Um, the big thing, too, is don't sit behind the bush, be down here like this, and be like, well, playing peekaboo, trying to figure it out. Use your camouflage, come out in front of the cover, be on the shaded side. This is, this is the most critical point, I think. A lot of people will just, well, they got in front of the tree, but they're standing in the glaring sun. It's literally like someone holding the spotlight on you. So if you can, maybe you have to step to the side of the tree, be on the sh- shaded side of the tree. But you have to have clear shooting lanes. You have to look and predict, okay, that bull's coming in. He's coming head on here. If he goes left, I got a lane right here. I can stop him at 25 yards. You know, and, and kind of, and the, and the other side of it too, um, clear limbs around, you know, I don't know how many times, especially hunting Roosevelt's, you got a pack on, you're standing there and it's like every time you move, it's tree branch, like take the time, break that away, be ready, clear your surroundings. So if you do need to pivot, it's not like pop where that bull's going to stop and look at you, get ready. And if you're in a side hill, take and dig out the dirt and get a stable platform don't be in an awkward position you know get get ready to go into kill mode uh, i'm one i've only shot an elk or two kneeling i almost always stand and the only reason is uh i feel like i can shoot better for one and secondary like if you ever sat there on your knees for 15 minutes the agony starts in you, you're not comfortable you're gonna give up and sometimes you might have to stand there for 45 minutes, an hour. So be in a comfortable position. And the ability to move if you're standing is all the difference in the world, where it's like, I've got to take a step. He came in around, and i got to shoot in this shooting lane here. If you're stuck on your knees, you're at full draw, you're, you're hosed. That bull's gone. So. so calling, we talked about some of those sounds, how we do it. Um, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's emotion. Um, if you do the robot calling and make the same sound like you've got an e-caller, 
you're not going to be successful. You got to trigger those emotions. If is he's coming, he's coming in, like I said, out of anger or out of lust. Those are the two things that draw that bull in. So, um, and then also go with what got you there. If he responded to the bugle and he's only responding to the bugle, don't think, oh, I got to throw a bunch of cow calls in here to sound like a herd. He, he's he maybe has all the cows and he's just he's just coming there to defend the herd. So go with what got you there. And if he's only answering the cow call and he's hammering on it, case in point, Steve's uh, bull from two years ago, they cow called that bull from like 900 to 1,000 yards away. Never bugled one time. Just the cow call. The whole t- Every time they cow called, that bull screamed and answered him, and he came. So, um, And then raking, realism to it. Raking is one of those things... If that bull, I've had them respond, you rake and they bugle, it's like you're getting them all fired up. Uh, the big thing is, is like, it's always a dance. You can't just start with, I'm here to fight you, I'm here to fight you. He's like, no, dude, I'm, I'm good, you know, but it's kind of that, um, you know, we talk the analogy of a bar fight, right? If you're yelling across the this, this street, you're not really a threat. You stand at the doorway and you're still in, inside. Yeah, it's not a big deal. It's like you have to use that judgment of when to move. And this this is one is like, oh, I would rather be overly aggressive than overly cautious a lot of times. If, if you're afraid to make that move, you got to kind of push the boundary, especially. So um, we do get the question a lot. It's like, what's the distance that you use to set up? I want to get as close as possible without getting busted for that last little setup. Um, the, it's the 90-10, right? Is you're going to move 90 yards and they're going to move 10. Uh, a lot of times those, those elk, um, they, they aren't going to go that far to call in. And I'll, I'll kind of step back real quick on the location side of it. You know, what I talked about in the morning time, those elk are moving their bed, you know, and it's not until a bed, bedded time is when he's content with his cows. He knows where Sally's at. He knows where Rachel's at. He's, he's, he's content. That's his time. Is He's either going to get up and wallow. He's going to come check those cows. Um, and most likely, that's the time when he's going to move them furthest away from his, his cows. So that's what we kind of target those bulls between that 11 and 2 p.m., that midtime. Um, and, and two, those bedded bugles, they're a lot closer than you think a lot of times. That, their volume when they're bedded bugle, it's that, ooh. It's just like, hey, I'm over here. It can sound like it's seven, eight hundred yards away, and it might be two hundred yards away. So just use a word of caution. That's that's when you're using Onyx. Okay, they're on that bench. I know that that's only three hundred yards away. I'm going to slip in as close as I can uh, to do that approach. And then the big thing is, if he's coming, shut up. Like you don't. You know, I know it's fun to hear a bull bugle all the time, but if you're bugling, he's bugling. It might turn into the standoff side of it shut up. And then he's going to be like, okay, I'm going to go investigate where this guy was at. And that's when you can get him killed. Shooting the bull. The age old question, when do I draw? I would say early and often. And like I said, it, you got to practice this. I think this is the one thing that, that I, I don't think people prepare as much for that last month before season. I try to minimize the, the amount of arrows I'm shooting, but I'm going to stand at full draw for a full minute. It's relaxed. I'm not anchored. Okay. The bull comes in. 
give them a cow call and, and practice that shot sequence. So it's second nature when that bull comes in. If you have to hold your bow for a long time, you get comfortable at it. Um, but I don't want to get busted. If that bull's in sight, you can see his eyes. Do not draw your bow. He's going to see you. It's, I mean, there's, I don't know how many times that the guy's like, yeah, the bull came in 15 yards and he was staring at me. I'm like, did you shoot him? He goes, no, I hadn't even picked, knocked an arrow yet. You know, it's like, you, you got to go through those, be prepared for that moment when it happens. Um, always have a call in your mouth. Um, and that's one thing like with the diaphragm call, it's like, if, if you can't call that well with it, but you can get a sound out to stop a bull, have that as a tool because Nine times out of ten, you know, he's coming in. He might now, the gig's kind of up. He's going to circle. You need to call. You need to bark at him to get him to stop. You have that tool where you're at full draw. It's not like you have a, a hoochie mama or something. You know, it's you're at full draw, calls in your mouth, bull comes in. And generally speaking, that bull's going to take a step and a half or two. So, you know, his head, neck comes in the shooting lane. Don't let his full body come through and starting on the outside and expect him just to stop on a dime. He's got to react to that sound. And if he doesn't stop the first time, bark at him, give that like demanding sound to where it's like, Oh, be prepared. And the shot time you have a lot. I've been guilty of this more often than not. You have a lot more time than you think. And things are actually happening at a lot slower pace than what it's not like. I got to get, Oh, pins close there. Yep. Shoot. Take your time. Pick a spot. You work your tail off. You want to make the most clean ethical kill. Pick a spot. Let that pin hover, hover, pull through, pull and break the shot. So, um, you don't want to just hail Mary that and hope that it hits. You want to have the confidence that you're going to make that arrow go where it needs to go. Calling after the shot. A lot of times, you know, you, you shoot an elk, that bull takes off. He doesn't know what just happened. He, for all he knows, he just got st- stuck by a stick or a yellow jacket stung him. You know, he, he doesn't know exactly what's going on. Call, and that's just to shorten the blood trail a lot of times. Get an, another arrow opportunity. And if you can, if that bull stops and you know you made a good shot, I would still shoot him again. Like there's With archery equipment, it's not like you're going to lose much meat through that process. Um, it's, and it's always better to have more holes in him on the blood trail side of it. So... So you got an arrow, Aaron and elk, you're high-fiving, you're stoked beyond belief. The worst thing you can do is just go running up there. Um, you know, we, we use the hour rule. Unless I l- physically watched him go down, it's an hour no matter what. Even if he's, I saw a good blood punching out, it's a double long, whatever it is, I'm going to give that elk an hour. Um, the conditions then, like if you've got weather against you, if it's pouring down rain, um, if you made a bad shot, if you think that that arrow hit back, that's a six hour wait for us at the bare minimum. Um, you know, the, I don't know how many stories that I've heard. Yeah, I, I thought I heard him go down. We gave him five minutes. I walked up there 150 yards. The bull took off. And we never found him. It's like give him the time to expire. Um, and, and if you make a lethal shot, that bull's down in seconds. Um, but sometimes we've had him. We've, we've had one where it was a one lung liver that bull lived for three hours, four hours. So, um, just, just be cautious in it and how you approach your blood trail. Um, the first thing we do 
is always kind of, we luckily have the cameras with us. We can relive that shot and understand exactly what angle he was. It, it, and it's so funny over the years, like, yep, he was standing here, he was turned this way, and then you pull the camera up, and it's a little bit different than what you picture in your mind of how it went down. So um, if you've got someone there, stand where you're at, have your buddy go out to where that bull was standing, like, okay, he's right here. Yep, I can see it. There's tracks right here. He was, I ranged that tree. It was 25 yards. I shot him for 28 or 30 or whatever it was. Kind of put it's, – it's all a puzzle piece at this point to put this all together. And it's your job to do the best job that you can do. Um, the first thing to do, we pull out Onyx, start a track. A lot of times if, as you know, you go into a blood trail and you're a couple hundred yards into it, you've got a line. If you start losing blood, you can kind of get, okay, he's staying on this line. You can kind of get a direction as to what he's going and how he is. And slow and steady. Um, I don't know how many times, like, your buddy's super excited and he's running out there trying to, you know, look for it. And he may be ruining all the clues that you have on tracks, on blood. Um, try to find the arrow and read the arrow. Is it dark blood? Is it bright, bubbly love? Does it have gut on it? Those are the types of things to make those decisions when you go to blood trail, how far you think this animal's going to go. You guys saw it on Trends Hunt this year. that It was unfortunate how the bull dropped. We had a shot that it was like, there's no way. Uh, honestly, we all had this like, that. I don't know that we're going to find this elk. Like the immediate gut check. It's like you work so hard for that opportunity and, and that animal moves 16 inches in a second and now all of a sudden you got a bad case in your hands. The only way we found that elk was with teamwork. We had six guys we gridded for four hours in order to find that elk. And we, that elk went traveled 800 yards from the original shot to where we found him. So um, you just you, it, uh, you got to put as much effort as you can into it. Uh, meat care. We use the gutless method. We made lots of videos on the gutless method. Uh, it's our preferred way. It's the easiest, most effective way to break an animal down. It's the cleanest way. You're not dealing with any gut matter or anything like that. And you can still get every cut of meat off there. You can get the tenderloins, uh, back straps, rib meat, neck meat. Um, the process is pretty easy. And we've, we've got videos for reference if you guys are interested on, on how to do that. But, um, and, and meat care, you're not out. I mean, the thrill of the kill is awesome, but feeding the family for a year is, is where it's at. You want to take care, and we, we pride ourselves in meat care is our number one priority. So uh, get a good set of meat bags that take care of the meat. Um, and, and also, during September, nine times out of ten, if you're east side where you're getting temps down in the 40s at night, 30s, whatever, that meat will last a long time hanging in the shade. And the biggest thing, if you're going to hang it in camp or if you're on a backpack, backpack trip, is airflow and shade. Um, you don't want it open on a hot hillside. You want it down in the bottom of the draw by the creek. Um, try not to get it wet. Um, that's where bacteria is going to grow on it. Um, so try to keep it dry. If it's raining, a lot of times we'll build a tarp over the top of a meat pole to keep that meat dry. And the biggest thing what you're looking for is getting that hard crust on the outside. That's going to protect that inside meat. Um, but we've hung meat as long as seven, eight days in the field and, and not had any issues at all. But if it's hot and you're on the coast here and you're an hour from a locker, go to town, get it taken care of before you go hunting again. So the pack out that for me, 
it's the hardest, but the funnest part of it. It's like, you got to embrace the suck, right? Um, we take our time, uh, be careful. That's where people can get hurt. Trekking poles. If you've not used trekking poles, I would, it's a minimal investment and it'll save your knees, especially in blowdown country, climbing over logs, anything like that. Trekking poles. And it's, I don't know if it's 50% easier, but it, it really is. It saves the body, saves your knees. So, and it's the stability side of it. Definitely get a pair of trekking poles, but have fun with it, man. That's, you know, you you put in all this time and work, enjoy that part of the process as much of it. Questions. One quick, the big thing is like, take notes, journal what's going on. I, I, uh, 2017, when we did land of the free, I wrote in a journal every night. So I didn't, I don't know how many times I'd gone back and, Oh, I forgot about that elk that we heard, or we did this. Uh, if you, if you make a mistake, right? Do not do this again. And here's why, um, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of forget all the stuff that you learned as well. If you figure out some tips and tricks along the way, write those down and revisit them. Um, and never be afraid of failure. The one thing by not succeeding is not going and doing it. Um, we talk about the adventure hunting. I have been so many places in the West that I would have never experienced. I never would have seen those views if we didn't go hunting and have a tag in my pocket. Like, embrace that adventure side of it and uh, your comfort zone, right? If everyone, you always talk about they, they, they've had this honey hole since they were 12 years old and it's not the same anymore, but they keep going back there in the hopes of that expectations that they're going to get that bull that they had in the meadow the one time. And that's their elk season as they spend seven days in this one tiny little area. If you go explore new country, you hunt better, you're more effective, you, you have no preconceived notions of what it should be or shouldn't be, and you leave no stone unturned. And uh, we've had some of our best hunts on the first time we've ever gone anywhere. Um, some of our worst hunts was when we went back the next year and hoping that it was the same, and it wasn't. So all of a sudden your morale is a little bit lower after day one or day two because it wasn't what you experienced the first year. Don't be afraid to go explore. And our big thing is like, if you live in a box this big, life's pretty small. You go live in that uncomfort zone, go expand your boundaries. Now all of a sudden life's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit fuller. So have fun. That's the biggest part. So question. Scent control? That's a good question. He asked, what's our take on scent control? Zero, honestly. Yeah, we, we don't use spray. I don't use any scent killer products. Um, most of the time, if you're going to be backpacking, doesn't matter. Even in Merino, you're going to still have some scent. You, you, you just can't. Um, if you're whitetail hunting and you're in this little tiny pocket and you, it's the only place you can hunt, you can really manage that. Elk hunting, you're going to get hot, you're going to get sweaty, you're going to stink. Um, you just have to control the wind as best as you can. So that, that's the key. Um, I, I have, before Oregon had the ban on elk scent, like scents, now you have to use a synthetic scent. But I've had the case where we've set up the wind change, I pulled out cow scent, and I've had a bull come in. Uh, Chris Pooey, Wyoming in 2012, we jumped this bull Wind's blowing right at her back. He didn't know what we were. He heard us. I just... And I literally watched that bull down in the timber like 200 yards, kind of pick his nose up, turn and came up. He came up to like 60 yards. We didn't get him killed, but that was like one of those things like, 
okay, when I'm setting up and if the wind's kind of funky, I would use, use a cow scent, but I'd never wear it on myself because I want to be able to, a lot of times you'll smell the elk before you can hear and see them. I want that ability, but um, yeah, you just like check your regulations as to what you can use for scents. I know they changed some of the rigs, uh, worry of uh, cross-pollination of stuff, I guess, but yeah, it's a good question. Yep. Yep. Right. So that, that's a good, good question. He's asking. He he's got a bull going. He's he's with his cows. He's responding every single time, but he's not coming in. The one technique that we have used, we haven't showed it too much. Um, it's kind of one of those. If a bull's hung up and he's 200 yards away, he's not leaving his cows, but he's responding to your bugle every time. That's where we go into the sneak mode, and that shooter is going to just slip in there. And, and at that point, you're in that herd, herd shadow kind of movement. You, you know, you may get to 40 yards and have a cow. Case Like what, what Eric's bull that he killed this year, we didn't call one time that morning. We just got in with those elk, and that bull's coming to check his cows. So if he's responding, use that as like, okay, I know where he's at. I can play the wind to get in on him. Have the caller stay back three, 400 yards and use that location as like, and go in ninja and get him killed that way. So, yeah. Yep, no problem. Any more questions? Yeah, so the question was uh, calling on emotion, when, when to increase that. You can, you can hear it in a bugle, right? You know, a, a bull bugles and it's, just a plain, I'm over here, better bugle. All of a sudden, you start calling. You think, oh, that's just a rag bull. No, he's just better, better bugle. He starts cranking it up. That's when you start cranking it up. So you have to kind of read that. And, and two, like when it comes to um, how you do it, I mean, you're, you're putting more emotion. You're putting more energy into that bugle. Um, and so I'll kind of just ramp it up with a couple here. You're just putting more into it. So the, the big thing is reading how he's responding to that as it goes in. Um, and if he's the whole time just kind of that bedded bugle, that's where I'm just going to keep moving and try to keep putting the pressure on him to change his emotion out of it. Any more questions? I, calling what? Oh, good question. Calling is calling only effective during the rut. Um, no, I I know there's there's some tags in Oregon that start like August first, and I've had a buddy that called a bull in. 
it's out of their herd animals at that point. Um, and he, he cow called that bull in. He was still in full velvet. It wasn't there to breed, but it's like, oh, there's another elk. Um, in November or anything like that, it's going to be tough. I mean, you'll hear them bugle. We, we've, we've actually had during rifle season bulls bugle. We use that as a location. Um, I wouldn't encourage you doing the cat road shuffle and, in you know, cascade rifle just because other people and all that. But um, it, it definitely, like a late season, they've got some archery stuff, you know, in December and January. It's, it's not going to be effective as much, um, I would say. Uh, so I'd always have a cow call with me, and that's to stop them. If you're, like, sneaking on them, you know, or if you're, you're still hunting through the timber, I might sound like a cow going through the timber. But it's just to uh, enable you for them to be like, oh, what's going on over here? So, Well, thank you guys so much for coming out. It means the world to us. Um, And I see a lot of red bags and really appreciate the support. So thank you guys.